Borak Thong Earthlets. Before we begin the show, I'd like to apologize for the audio quality of this episode and the next few episodes. Unfortunately, I had some of my audio settings done incorrectly and didn't realize it for a couple show tapings. I've since fixed the problem and it should be smooth sailing from here on out. Uh, so please bear with us for these next few episodes. Thank you for your patience and on with the show. Splendug Birthrig! My name is Conrad, alongside my friend Fox, and this is the 39th episode of Space Spinner 2000, a podcast where two Americans try to make sense of the UK's own galaxy's greatest comic, 2000 AD, one month of progs at a time. This episode, we're covering 2000 AD and Tornado for September 1979, Progs 128 to 132. This week, we'll meet some iconic Judge Dredd characters, uh, kill some crazy monsters, gladiator style, go to school with Bill Savage, and then go to Mars with the ABC Warriors. How you doing this time, Fox? You forgot to mention we also go to a haunted house. Oh, man. Okay. (laughs) <laughs> that's not that's not what I'd call the sizzle of this uh, month of 2018 well you know where my where my top spot's going to <laughs> alright oh, <Eddie. laughs> 301 okay get it together okay, buddy 301 Judge Dredd Script robot for this month of Judge Dredd is uh, John Wag is John Wagner writing is John Howard. Art robot is um, Ron Smith and Dave Gibbons and lettering robots Tom Frame. So yeah. we start we start off with a crime blitz, which is which basically is just the definitely lawful search of people's houses randomly. <laughs> hey, you knew this was a fascist dictatorship when you signed on with Judge Dredd, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, uh, crime blitz is where judges just roll up to a random citizen's house and just sort of turn the place over searching for for illegal stuff. Just your usual fascist state moves. Yeah, just like throwing shit around, checking around to see if you have contraband, yelling at you, checking your accounts. Always. Yeah, so, um, in this case, today Dredd and a bunch of other judges show up at a man named Sweet's house, and they find nothing! He's completely clean! No law-breaking at all. Yeah, he's almost too clean. Hmm. So, to that end, uh, Dredd has the Justice Department's drones and closed circuit and uh, CCTV cameras follow the suite around. Very um, 2017, this uh, response and the way they do it. Um, (laughs) Until they find Sweet meeting with some weird dude. The the, the two of them exchange briefcases and Dredd is on the case. He arrests Sweet. No, it's not a Tinder date. He's trying to do something naughty. That's right. <laughs> um, Sweet instantly confesses that he's been giving the secrets of Mega City One's new laser defense system to agents from East Meg One, those lousy commies. Oh my god. Uh, Dredge gives chase to this enemy agent who escapes through a giant crack in the border wall, escaping in a speedboat out onto the polluted Black Atlantic. Uh, Dread commandeers a super speedboat. Someone tries to stop him, and he threatens him with the isolation cubes, which I believe is the first mention of the iso cubes in Judge Dread. It is our first mention of iso cubes. Very exciting. Dread. Yeah. Uh, Dread rides out into the Atlantic, finding an East Meg anti-pollution ship just outside the sea border of Mega City One. Dread then uh, unilaterally extends city limits and arrests the ship. Surrender now, and nobody gets hurt. It's amazing. He just points his gun right at the ship and is like, You're all under arrest, damn it! <laughs> uh, the guys from East Meg 1 are less than impressed and run over Judge Dredd's boat, smashing him. Because I guess why not? I mean, you know, what? What's he going to do? <laughs> not be drowned and then um, die hard his way through the ship? Like, <laughs> beating everybody up and eventually <laughs> commandeering it? <laughs> 
<laughs> fights a mid-boss. The answer is no. When you die hard through a ship, you are under-sieging your way through the ship. Anyhow. Oh, my God. <laughs> In- including butt cake. Yeah. So, <laughs> Dredd's been, so Dredd has been smashed, but that won't stop him. He climbs aboard the Sov Block ship and, uh, yeah, under-sieges his way through, beating people up on the way. <laughs> but when he meets a mid a hot doctor. Yeah. Uh-huh. As he uh, fights a mid-boss, he, suc- he passes out because of his exposure to the heavily polluted water of the Black Atlantic. In the ship's sickbay, the beautiful Dr. Rod- Rodnina removes all the polluted water from Dredd's system, and he comes to. He's tied down, but manages to steal a scalpel from the doctor, allowing him to escape. Dude, he gets touchy-feely on that doctor, and she's yeah, yeah. like, hey, but actually it's for that scalpel. Yeah, he steals it from like her uh, her utility belt in the guise of touching her butt. Uh, yep. <laughs> Dread ambushes the head judge aboard the ship, Judge Molotov, and ends up forcing the ship to sail to Mega City 1 and everybody aboard to surrender. Get those 1,200 holding cells ready. <laughs> it's awesome! Because <laughs> that's... Just how you do. This rolls in. All right, so Hi. next next story, uh, there's a gangster coming to town, Joe Lips Lazarus, who is just ahead oh. like the guy at the end of uh, Crank 2. <laughs> but Wow, also. This guy's also a master of copying voices, and he's here to testify against the mob, which is weird if just because... I don't know why they need somebody to turn like state's evidence to testify when they could just crime blitz the mobster's house and find evidence that way, <laughs> you know. But whatever. Or or just go and arrest them. It seems like they need very little in the way of that. I mean, the requirements of law in Judge Dredd society in a in in, in Mega City One varies wildly from time to time. I think. It's pretty fair. Better not to worry about it, honestly. Um, but yeah, so <laughs> Lips Lazarus is here to testify against them, uh, the mob. He's a master of doing different voices and stuff. and But he won't testify if a pack of mob blitzers, a.k.a. assassins, have anything to say about it. Dread manages to stop him, and the sole survivor self-destructs when he's forced to surrender. He's got an automatic suicide box built into him kind of awesome yeah they just burst into flame basically but so uh the mobsters try again to take out lazarus they hijack um a a medical van um, or a medical droid van that's bringing a transplant body to lips which is leads to this sort of headless robot sort of wandering around being like oh i gotta get to my head what's happening oh people just freaking out because i guess that's weird. Like, I think in a world full of robots, a headless robot man saying, like, I need to find my head wouldn't freak people out. I mean, you know, maybe they just think of them as people. So, like, a headless guy wandering around would be pretty scary, right? <laughs> so, I don't know. <laughs> so, the Blitzers atta- uh, uh, pin down Dread and everybody else. Dread gets advanced word, so they're able to put on gas masks to avoid the mob Blitzers, like, knockout gas. But they are mm-hmm. stuck. So, luckily, Dread manages to convince Lips to mimic the voice of the mob boss that ordered the hit. And he orders the gangsters to surrender to the judges. And when they do, this causes the suicide box to trigger, instantly killing them all. <laughs> Which, I mean... Dread kill count increased by like five. Yeah, he, he kills a bunch of people. This and this one for sure. I gotta restart the kill count. I, I I fell behind during the cursed earth and I never caught back up. That's my goal for yeah, it's be- next it's one. Because he's like, got a million billion people he kills. Well, I mean, I'm not gonna count some stuff. Like you can't count um like all the people who Cal killed that Dread is sort of indirectly responsible for in some way or another. You know, but whatever. <laughs> So yeah, anyhow, Lips Lazarus gets a new body, we'll testify against the mob. Good times. Hooray! So okay, final story, and this one is actually kind of an important one for Judge Dredd, just in terms of uh, some characters and stuff. So we've seen city blocks before, right, Fox? Yeah. But even with those massive edifices, each one with like forty to 60,000 people in them, there's still millions of people in Mega City 1 who live in mobile homes, uh, mopads, that yeah. co- constantly drive over the massive roadways of Mega City One. They says eighteen million people live in mopeds across all of Mega City One. Jesus. <laughs> uh, they vary from just like sort of pickup trucks with beds in the back to like giant, um, like eighteen wheeler sized trucks, basically. 
including luxury one, liners. Yeah, including one luxury liner that goes out of control. Dread jumps aboard and, and stops it. Inside he finds the body of the owner in the indoor pool of the moped, and the pool cleaning units have stripped the body down to a skeleton. And it's like a super ritzy pad. It's yeah, it's like a it's Very like a big nice. mansion that's inside a car, basically. Um, Which I'd be all right with, to be honest. It's not too bad. I think it's it, there's some interesting world building and stuff. I, uh, s- something I like about a lot of the mopads is they all have signs on them saying like, "We'll exchange this awesome moped for an apartment in in a in a city block." You know. Yeah. Like, there's Maybe. an interesting sort of... It implies a sort of interesting uh, economy of this future living stuff. Mm, like, maybe some people want to go mobile and, and stuff yeah. like that. So, on investigation, it turns out that, that, that this moped has been running on autopilot for the last three years. Checking its Lord. mail... Yeah, checking its mail, Dread follows a trail that eventually leads to the TV show Sob Story, where people tell their tales of woe for cash uh, d- donations... Which is super weird. Yeah. The uh, the host, Johnny Teardrop, is very over-the-top and silly. And I researched I like it. it. Yeah, I guess he's a, he's a, re- he's a reference to um, British TV presenter Bruce Forsyth, who's did a bunch of things okay. that were like um, a lot of shows that were sort of designed to like humiliate like the regular people guests that came on the show. And no, a lot of like, oh, exactly, and a lot of the jokes that like uh, Teardrop says on Sob Story are like references to Forsyth's um, like catchphrases and things like that. Well, that's kind of cool. Yeah, it's an interesting sort of piece of late seventies, you know, UK stuff, I guess. Mm. Uh, Dread stops the show in the middle of it by just put, putting a gun to, for, to uh, Teardrop's head. <laughs> he interrogates him, and we learn that the show basically just gives out the addresses of everyone who appears on it at the end of the show, which seems incredibly um, incompetent and dangerous. Which, and by the way, this is, of course, Channel 99, citywide with pride. Oh, yeah. But so, <laughs> apparently it just seems like um, that these killers just wait for someone with a, who's going to get a lot of money from the sob story show that's in a moped, and they just sort of drive up to it, kill the person, take their money, and then leave the car in autopilot. So there could be who knows how many just vehicles on autopilot full of dead people in them out there on the roadway. <laughs> yeah, and which, you know, these guys are not exactly mastermind criminals, but they go to, like, the huge length of like the guy that Judge Dredd, I guess you're getting to that, but yeah, like the lengths that they go to to get on board of this thing is just like, but you're just gonna rob it anyway. <laughs> yeah, the moped of none other than Otto Sump, the ugliest man of all time. Oh, poor Otto. Yeah, he's got he, he's gotten eight face changes and he's still incredibly ugly. It's super sad. When he was a baby, they just left him in a basket in front of a face change shop. <laughs> Which, what the hell? Yeah, it's tough. So, Dredd has ran a trace to find the most hard luck case of anyone in Mega City 1. And, he, and found Otto Sump, and Otto's been submitted to Sob Story as a honeypot for the Sob Story killers, basically. Um, Dread explains this as Otto continues his tale of ugliness. The only job he could find was as a rat scarer for the sewer department. <laughs> and then a bunch of animal lovers got him sacked because that was because him showing his face to rats was too cruel to the rats. <laughs> fucked up, man. Yeah. Over the next few days, Otto gets a ton of letters, all full of cash from people who saw him on the show. Eventually, as he's driving down the road, an ambulance pulls up next to him, and a doctor offers to help him become handsome, like Rudolph Valentino. Dude, I don't know if you saw some of the things that are in his house when he's doing the hey, hey, I've got so much money, I have to make it look like it's raining money down me on me thing. But <laughs> like, some of the gifts that he get are a bottle of poison and a gun. <laughs> that's awesome. It's it's really fucking horrific. <laughs> the gun has a tag that says two auto on it. Jeez, that's ridiculous. Um, Otto and the doctor have one of my favorite styles of conversations because he says you look like Rudolph oh. Valentino. Otto some says, "Oh, I'll be tall, dark, and handsome," and the doctor says, "No, you'll be dead," which is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love that when people do that. 
<laughs> so stupid. So they try to kill Otto, but uh, Dredd was lying in wait behind a Murphy bed in Otto's uh, moped. Mo which, which is great. He just pops up out of nowhere. And there was setup for that. Not that he was in it, but in the background shot of him doing yeah. the Money Rain thing, it says it's an Apex folding bed. Totally. So, <laughs> Dredd takes out the uh, the the killers, and we discover the, the and, and and we sort of figure out their crimes. The host of sob stories overjoyed until Dredd explains that because of his recklessness, the host is on the hook for for civil lawsuits from the families of all forty one of the sob story victims. And this story ends. Yeah. yeah, fair dues. I mean, that's what, you know, that was super reckless. Um, the story ends with the host going on his own show, begging for charity for himself. The irony! <laughs> it's super delicious and rich with iron. Yeah, next episode, The Great Muldoon. Which, that sounds awesome. It's it, It'll be interesting. So Otto Sump's going to show up pretty much for the rest of time. Um, people are going to refer really? to him when things are when something's really ugly. Um, he's going to have a get rich like he's going to be the center of a get rich quick scheme where everybody else gets face things to be ugly, and Otto becomes like a person a cult of personality with it and stuff. This is oh. a long term dread character being introduced this week. I would not have even fucking guessed. Yeah, keep an eye out for uh, for Mister Sump going forward, buddy. Alright, I mean, anybody who's willing to throw money on top of himself and scream money, money, and more money. <laughs> He's a classic <laughs> hard luck case. I'm a big Otto Sum fan, for sure. <laughs> Alright, man. I'm, I'm excited to see how this, uh, this weirdo develops. Yeah. Hey, speaking of ugly weirdos... Thrill 2 Blackhawk! So the script robot is, once again, Kelvin Gosnell and Alan Grant, writing as Alvin Gaunt. The art robots, Massimo Bellardinelli and Roman Sola. And the lettering robot is Pete Knight. God, two of the bestest artists. <laughs> they're, they're real good with their Mediterranean flair. <laughs> so, <laughs> so we left... We just had one episode of Blackhawk last week. Um, mm hmm and we finished it with sort of Blackhawk being recruited into this intergalactic gladiator school, basically, by the um, the owner of the um, of the of the gladiator thing, sort of leaving Blackhawk in a yeah. room with a big monster and being like, Oh, I bet you can't fight that monster, buddy. And Blackhawk being like, Oh I, no one says that to me, I'll kill that thing. You you tricked me into it. <laughs> Dude. It's uh, it's pretty great. He just is like, I'll I'll never not do a challenge. That's his, that's his weakness. Definitely, yeah. He's got the hubris of a, uh, of a guy who, yeah, you know, he's, he's like Marty McFly. Like you call him chicken and he'll do anything, basically. <laughs> oh man! Except but, that he Bill Savages his way through problems. That's true. <laughs> so. Blackhawk fights this monster, and the two of them go back and forth. But Bellard and and it's kind of hard to describe for me. But Bellardinelli does a good job with the action of just sort of showing this big monster and Blackhawk taking it down. Dude, dude, Blackhawk gives this dude a sweet kick to the chest, which just nothing. Like it's a double kick, flying <laughs> yeah. kick. And then he gives him a friggin' uppercut, and all the troll does is just like backstep, backswipe him. <laughs> but then he just kicks it in the nuts, and then uh, and then uses his head. And exactly. Guts. Yeah, Blackhawk wins, but refuses to kill the monster because of his honor. The director of the stadium, you know, continues to order Blackhawk to kill him, but he won't. The monster comes back alive and attacks the director. And in the end, Blackhawk's honor now forces him to kill the monster and take the oath to become a gladiator to save the director guy. Uh, the director is then like, "I can beat anybody here. That's because I'm the greatest. So whatever. I was in no danger. I've tricked you." <laughs> <laughs> he gets all Tharg on it. Yeah. So um, to control Blackhawk, the director puts like a metal circlet on Blackhawk's head, a torque band, which delivers pain to the wearer if they disobey. But it's also super fashionable. Oh, dude, yeah. It goes total Luke Cage on him, basically. Um, <laughs> so Blackhawk is shocked by the torque so hard that he passes out. Yep. Go to hell. 
Exactly. So after taking a month off in Prague 129, there's only four uh, Blackhawk stories this month. Um, mm. We return to see the Gladiators set up, like stadium thing arrive on a planet, and things start getting like you know prepared and stuff. Blackhawk comes to it's the a super sp- cool landing sequence. To be totally, honest. yeah, it's like this giant spaceship just coming down through the atmosphere and like arriving as everybody from miles around is like, "Oh, the entertainers are here! Let's go! Let's go watch some murder!" Hey, man. I mean, yeah, that's literally true. <laughs> uh, Blackhawk comes to the slave pens where he befriends a cool murder teddy bear named Ursa and runs afoul <laughs> of the leader of the gladiators, Batak. Who is this big bug dude? Yeah, he's, I mean, he's like slightly smaller than giant cuddle bear. And just like everyone's a fear of him. And eh, I hate bug people. They're always evil. Yeah. So, Batak runs everybody through his assault course, which is made up of deadly plants and stuff. You aren't supposed to help anybody but Blackhawk save Ursa's life. And for that, he runs afoul of Batak, who is about to kill them both. But, but they're both chop-chops so good together. Exactly. The director breaks in and breaks up the fight between Batak and Blackhawk before it comes to blows, because he t- tells them to save it for the ring. The two of them end up fighting in front of a big audience and it's a pretty awesome fight the two of them are very evenly matched but um Blackhawk has a little bit more stamina than Batak mm-hmm. it ends with Batak taking to the air like on his bug wings trying to attack <laughs> Blackhawk that way but then Blackhawk throws his shield cap in American style which completely cuts off Batak's wings instead it's awesome it's it's both horrific <laughs> but also retribution bug bastard Listen, I'm all for this gladiator stuff. I don't. I have no moral qualms about it. Um, <laughs> Thumbs the, down. You must murder Batak. Exactly. However, Blackhawk refuses to do so, and thus he's sentenced instead to go fight one of the planet's greatest predators instead. Uh, Ursa offers to help out, and the two of them head out to fight uh, Kraken, the Fear Beast. Yeah, man. And Sola does a dope job making a t-rex look terrifying right? yeah in our in our final one roman solar returns for the art here blackhawk and ursa hunt down the kraken fear beast yeah it's this big t-rex it's got weird like teeth that kind of look like an old style radiator or something i'd say yeah um, it's bizarre the uh the boys managed to defeat managed to freak the beast out by not being afraid of it which makes it afraid like it like starts right. cowering and running from them basically and this opens the beast up to attack and they attack it uh twice at the same time the fight takes them off land and onto the water where they finally defeat the beast but oh no they're in deep water and ursa can't swim are we gonna deal with this problem well luckily blackhawk can swim and he convinces ursa to float and drags the mighty beast back to shore as ursa sings a merry axe chopping song my axe has chopped with crushing stud. He has been spilling plenty blood. Ursa's Next e- pretty great. Ursa's awesome, man. Next episode, Zog! 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 I'm excited for what the fuck that is. Whenever there's a chant, it usually is like cool aliens being crazy. Exactly. Yeah, man, Um, you know... Blackhawk's fun. I don't know. It's just a bunch of. It's just a, a gladiator dude killing monsters and trying to have honor, but his honor is quickly being taken over by the fact that he's got to kill all these monsters and stuff. Like, I wish Blackhawk wasn't so. Oh, go ahead. Oh, I wish Blackhawk wasn't so so whiny about it. But honestly, it's it's kind of fu- it's it's really fun. He he does do that whole like I'm not going to kill things thing, but then eventually just ends up killing it. But you know, it's all for building out the character. Yeah. What I like is that anytime space and like gladiator or or even like prehistory stuff are matched together, I'm very happy. I like my yeah. 1980s uh, cartoons, you know. Totally, yeah. It's got a very He-Man aesthetic, doesn't it? Where it's like, um, yeah, <laughs> sword dude and and space monster guy for sure. <laughs> And I ripped bear man just beating the hell out of things. Yeah, and I everybody totally. And I'd say Bellardinelli's really at his best drawing crazy monsters like this. You know, completely agree. Like you know, it's a lot of fun. Um, 
Hey, speaking of a lot of fun, Fox. Uh-huh. Thrill 3 ABC Warriors. ABC Warriors. ABC Warriors. So, script robot for ABC Warriors is Pat Mills. Art robots are Brendan McCarthy, Mike McMahon, and Dave Gibbons. Basically, everybody in the 2080s stable, it seems like, draws, a- draws ABC Warriors at least once. <laughs> oh, you son of a bitch. Um, <laughs> lettering robots are John Aldridge, Tom Knight, and Dave Gibbons. So yeah, the mess! Oh, uh, snap, he's gonna eat you up. Yeah, Steelhorn the robot's undestroyable body has been melted down into a living murderous sludge and is awesome. It, yeah, it's going to kill all the things. It basically wanders the D-Mob camp, uh, murdering every human it comes across. Luckily, I can deserve it. Say, I can't disagree. Luckily, Hammerstein has come back to check things out, and he finds the mess's swath of carnage. Uh, Hammerstein also learns the truth about the D-Mob camp and starts to go berserk himself. When he, <laughs> of course. When he meets the mess, and the mess ends up hiding in the super hot barrel of Hammerstein's gun because it needs to be because like it's uh, it can only move because it's super hot, and if it starts to cool down, then it'll die basically. So, the mess joins the team, and he's now contained in a vacuum flask that help him maintain his temperature and becomes Mongrel's buddy. <laughs> Yeah, like almost immediately, because Mongrel magically understands exactly what he's saying because Mongrel used to just grunt to say stuff. But yeah. anyway, they're buddies now. Totally. They're going to get soft tacos later. Exactly. <laughs> Dude, we should get soft. Damn it. All right. Uh, Dude, I want soft tacos. <laughs> so, the, so um, but now the mysterious officer who's been giving the team missions appears or sort of telling Hammerstein who to recruit. Um, now that the team is fully recruited, it's time for their true mission. Deadlock knows what it is because he's drawn the devil card from his tarot deck. That's right. They're going to Mars, the devil planet. Oh, snap. And finally, we also see a close-up of the commander dude, and he is not looking great. Yeah, he's weird. He's, like, very beat up for sure. But this sto- looking like maybe a definitely evil guy. He's not a good guy. He, he's definitely got all the looks of a bad guy, for sure. <laughs> right? Green skin, boils, snake eyes. <laughs> so this story opens with a shot of this giant cyber whale swimming through a sand desert as it's being attacked by a giant robot bird. And it's just the greatest thing I've ever seen in my life, basically. <laughs> it's pretty fucking cool. And for reason, question mark? It's just to sort of give you a sense of, like, this is Mars. Mars is totally awesome. <laughs> um, yeah, basically. That's the best I could I can describe it, you know? That's fucking fair. Because <laughs> if this is Mars, that's where I want to be. I mean, it's just like, oh, going to Mars. What's Mars like? Here's a cyber whale being attacked by a bird plane, buddy. <laughs> Shoot. While people abandon ship and shoot lasers at each other. Yes! God, there are so many. <laughs> Dude, there's so many, like, pictures worthy of being posted. Yes! So, fucking month totally. So the Warriors have been recruited by Free Mars, a group trying to solve all of Mars's problems by having a team of badass robots fix them, which is the best way to fix your problems. I.e. through seriously awesome and cool violence and super awesome, like, stunts and tricks. <laughs> Always. So as their ship arrives, it's forced to make an emergency landing because of a freak storm. Um, as well as their boss, we learn his name, uh, Colonel Lash, and the bots, we learn the ship is full of, like, fresh-faced colonists, 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 who have trouble breathing the air, I don't know how to say words, buddy, and are, (laughs) been great, they're all editorializing, (laughs) and what they are is all freaked out when they're confronted by the humpies, early human settlers to Mars. (laughs) Yeah, they're no, it's, yeah, they're the early settlers of Mars, and they have huge air sacs all over their body, which allow them to go for days on a few mouthfuls of air. While both sides are initially gr- grossed out by how by how the others look, which I think is kind of cool, how the uh, how the humpies are yeah. also like ah oh, regular humans, they're gross. That's yeah, um, really actually kind of good detail. 
Yeah. Eventually, though, the intervention of Hammerstein quickly puts the differences aside and they work together. Uh, somehow, I doubt the other challenges on Mars will be this easy. Well, they have to, like, make out in order to give them air. Yeah, they gotta, like, do do uh, mouth-to-mouth to each other, which is like, whoa, okay. <laughs> All right. Anyhow, moving on. <laughs> There's a, bi- the big, <laughs> a big industry on Mars is ranching soya cattle, which appear which, to be... Right. They appear to be robots that look like cows, but are actually like mini factories that process soy soy plants into tofu steaks, essentially. Um, Yay! We we open with a flesh style commercial for them, which I think was was kind of funny. Um, But the ranchers need more land, and the best place for them to get more land for their uh, soy cow soya cows is on the reservation of the Cyboons. Who are these? Which, bi- uh, <laughs> yeah, the Cyboons are these big uh, gorilla Sasquatch, big green gorilla Sasquatch monsters. They were brought in to do the initial colonizing of Mars, and then now they live on like reservations around the around the planet. They're which, elite. I mean, okay. What did they do? Like, <laughs> I think they just like maybe like broke a bunch of rocks or did a bunch of you know just did grunt work or something. I mean, I guess so. Yeah. Their leader, Old Bedlam, shows up and is attacked by ranchers until the ABC's warriors show up. Spread the word! The, uh, oh, yeah, man. The warriors are here to support to support the Cyboons against the ranchers, but Bedlam doesn't want any help. His son, Rumpus, who has sideburns Just... and a very 1970s hair and clothing sensibility, does want their help, but his father won't hear anything of it. Tooth and claw is how they've always won, and how they'll win again. Even yeah, if man. well, because they, the the ABC Warriors like offered them guns and shit, and he's just like smacks what's his face. Yeah, he smacks the gun out of happy out of happy shrapnel's hand. Like, no, we don't need guns. Tooth and claw. But it's clear they don't stand a chance, especially as the cattlemen are organizing a war party to come exterminate them. Which I guess that's just what you do. Yep. I mean, you know, see American history, I guess. But um, <laughs> next wow. up, in the next prog, the cyburn, the cyboons have changed color to brown instead of green, which is super lame. Um, yep. Rumpus here argues that they should again accept the ABC Warriors' help, but Bedlam says no way. Uh, Rumpus leaves the Cyboon reservation and goes to join the ranchers to become part of modern society and stuff. Oh, but instead, instead the ranchers like lynch him. Jesus Christ! Yeah, it's, it's it gets real dark. They just they just hang him and leave him leave his dead body hanging from like a rock formation. Um. And let me tell you, doesn't this come to bite them in the ass later? Um, so even if they won't accept help, Hammerstein has a plan to help out the Cyboons. He sends the stealthiest ABC warriors, Deadlock and Blackblood, into the rancher camp at the dead of night. When the fight begins in the morning, things initially look bad for the Cyboons until we learn that all the ranchers' bullets have been replaced by blanks. Tooth and claw! <laughs> Yeah, the ranchers. Of course, like, well, because like the dad gets like super enraged, and he's like, "Oh hell no!" Yeah, totally. The ranchers, seeing the fury of the Cyboons and that they don't have any weapons, uh, try to escape, but the ABC warriors are guarding their are standing in their path of, of retreat, being like, "Nah, buddy, you're gonna get this massacre." <laughs> the ranchers are like you can't let these cyboons just kill us it's inhumane and the ABC warriors are like dude we're robots we aren't humans yeah man we don't give a shit you started so, this yeah exactly like maybe don't try to exterminate people dude how about that ra- or ra- their children very rare anti-genocide uh, message in 2000 AD <laughs> <laughs> Um, the few surviving ranchers stumble out of the Cyboon Reservation covered in like bandages and crutches and eye patches and stuff. The Cyboons have won, and Bedlam has a statement as he looks at the dead body of his son still hanging by a rope from a tree. Humans stink! Spread the word, baby. 
Hey, fair dues. Um, so yeah, so we, we, we cut now to Viking City, the capital of Free Mars, which is a cool place full of big old buildings and stuff, but it's full of no-good motorcycle punks driving all over the place. Ah, jerks. Yeah, their leader is Hell Kickstart, and he's a master of riding the pyramids of the Martian city, which is they also call Pyromania. <laughs> or he was a master until a new rival shows up deadlock on his hover bike so sick yeah deadlock calls out hell kickstart and they both drive up the side of the biggest office block in mars the Iger building uh, kickstart tries to copy deadlock but goes falling off the side of the building instead Establishes top bikers. The ABC Warriors kick the uh, the pyromaniacs out of town. Spread the word. <laughs> um, then, as they're riding out, they turn into weird corpses. Yeah, as they leave, their bodies start to dissolve until they're just skeletons on the motorcycles. What's going on? It's creepy. At a hospital, a doctor recognizes it as a new plague virus called the Red Death. It's killed all the bikers, and it's a disease caused by feeling fear. If you're afraid, it'll kill you. The doctor seems okay with this, because he's not afraid of whatever. He's like, you know, he's got a computer, and the computer will find an antidote, and it'll be fine. Whatever, who cares? Oh, no, there's no antidote! <laughs> and he instantly skeletonizes. <laughs> Anyhow, it's... Yeah, it's up to the ABC Warriors to head out to the source of the virus, Death Valley, and exterminate it somehow. I don't know, they'll use ABC Warrior powers. Next episode, <laughs> only you can destroy it, Hammerstein! Which, yeah, that's kind of cool. Hammerstein, Hammerstein's got a hammer on him. Oh, these ABC yeah. Warriors, dude, it's so good! <laughs> <laughs> dude, it's, uh, it's pretty great. I, um... From the opening shot, like, oh, I love these guys. All the Mars stuff is cool. I love the Magnificent Seven. Um, mm -hmm. I love just the weird and varied problems they run into and then solve on Mars and stuff like that. Like, I want more Joe Pineapples, goddammit. That's true. We've been very light on, on Joe Pineapples recently. Um, you know, Deadlock's always in danger of taking over ABC Warriors, I think. That's sort of a, a long-standing yeah. problem with the, with the story. He is awesome. Like, that's I, the problem. Yeah, that's, I mean, it's, it's tough, because it's like, oh, all you guys are awesome, but this guy's, what's one guy's super awesome? You know, what's to be done? <laughs> Dude. And, I mean, that's the problem, when you're super, super awesome. <laughs> it's true. Speaking of things that might be less awesome... Uh, Non-thrills, covers, and nerve center. Let's go through the covers and the nerve and all the nerves, all the non-thrill stuff for this month. So, Prog 128 in one of my favorite covers. Judge Dredd demands that a huge warship surrenders and nobody gets hurt. Um, <laughs> in in the nerve center itself, Tharg is very excited about the tornado merger. A kid does viral marketing for the book "The Next Ten Thousand Years" by Adrian Barry. Uh, <laughs> Mid Prague, there's a selection of photos from readers of various things, including Hammerstein, a, a Hammerstein model, and a Lego spaceship. At, in general, I'm very in favor of models that people make from random stuff, and very against Legos. Um, and I'm pro Rojas doing any of these things. So. Always, yeah, top editorial bot. Uh, there's more reader profiles this month. One of the readers is 30 years old. Oh my gosh. Oh, granddad, am I right? <laughs> exactly. Um, Prague 129, there's a classic cover by um, Carlos Escara with a huge Tharg towering over London. This um, cover actually gets redone in Prague 1977, 39 some years later. Um, Whoa. Yeah. Inside, there's a warning that says this prog can damage unshielded circuits because there's so much through power. <laughs> it's not untrue. Yeah. Several letters in this one give awards from various fan clubs to Rojas and Hammerstein, the Gronk, and even Tharg himself. Um, I think this might be the first time Tharg uses the term uh, Squawkstack Thargo, which means a, th a friend of Tharg. Um, oh. 
at the end of this of this issue is a map of Olympus. Yeah, the largest continent of Mars, and a map for the ABC Warriors adventures on the Red Planet. It's extremely cool. All I want to do, or all I want to say is, um, when you have a place called Damnation Island that has a bridge called the Bridge of Screams, (laughs) I think we're going there soon too. Actually, I forget where this one, where the Golgotha story takes place, but that's a spoiler. Anyhow. Prague 130, Mike McMahon does a cast photo of the ABC Warriors. The Magnificent Seven are here. Spread the word. Um, I I did like that play on words. Totally. In the Nerve Center, everyone is super excited about the Tornado merger, and there's a pretty sweet uh, Tharg poem as well, though it rhymes editor with superior, which I don't think works quite quite right. Um, No. There's an interior ad in this issue that says 2000 AD and Tornado, assembled by robots, which I thought was pretty pretty funny, honestly. Like, I like that yeah. um, that, that thing. And, and then there's, of course, a green cross cut. I wasn't even going to mention that, Lord knows. But look, I, look both ways, Fox. I'm going to mention it every time, because um, why? Because p- kids need to know you got to look both ways before you cross the street, buddy. No kid needs to be told that more than, like, five times because cars. <laughs> I, f- I feel like you don't have much experience actually raising kids, Fox, um, because even in my Fair. sort of kid-adjacent lifestyle, you got to tell them a lot. Um, that's, like, a, a true fact. <laughs> um, Prog 131, Brian Bolland does a very basic Dread cover th- um, this week. Whatever your crime, Judge Dredd's got a bullet to match. Uh, Tharg requests totally, yeah. Tharg requests a story similar to the one of him fighting that space bounty hunter from the cover of Prague One Twenty Four. Um, this is my favorite nerve center. Do you want to know why? Why? <laughs> Strongman Tharg. <laughs> There's a big picture. So a lot of times in the nerve center, they've started having the Tharg that like tells you his like quick editorial for the pick for the uh, for the month be drawn by a reader. And this time, yeah, there's one of Tharg's head on like a Charles Atlas body, and it's pretty funny. It's it's amazing. It's just like yeah, I'm ripped, and so of course he gets a uh, a ten yeah. ten pound note. <laughs> there's uh, there's letters from a kid with a UFO hunting kit. Another trying to speak entirely in sci-fi gobbledygook. And yeah. Richard Bates of Soul Hole lets us know that 3104 spells hole on an upside-down calculator. I can't wait oh. till he tries 58008, if you know what I mean. <laughs> that, one, that one spells boobs. Um, so, <laughs> Prog 132. Uh, Mike McMahon supplies a classic Deadlock cover in the name of Chaos Die. Uh, Rojas takes over the Nerve Center this week. Watch your mates. Yeah. <laughs> and and basically just gives us some Rojas time because obviously ABC Warriors is very Hammerstein heavy. Um, also, there's a letter that calls out a mess up that we also miss missed on the cover of Prog 125. Really? Where, yeah, where the cover identifies just some random Vulcan droid as Deadlock, and that's why starting this week, um, I'm trying to cover these. Co- I'm, 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 I'm trying to talk about these covers more heavily, just so that we don't miss other mis- mistakes and stuff. Plus, they're cool. Dues. I don't know. You know. I like them. Totally. Yeah. Speaking of, um, I don't know, totally paying more cool. attention to things with your psychic powers. Uh, <laughs> Thrill for the mind of Wolfie Smith. Oh, this is the best frickin' prog in the comic. <laughs> so, um, script robot for Wolfie Smith is Tom Tully. Art robots are Ian Gibson and Vanyo. And the lettering robot is John Aldrich. <laughs> so, uh, an evil psychic dude was forcing a guy to climb a building and then jump off it, which he does. Moses wept! Um, <laughs> the greatest well, line ever that keeps pre- coming back. It's a pretty well, like you know, it's supposed to be like Jesus wept. Of course, is the world sh- is the uh, shortest path is the shortest um, chapter in the Bible. Um, mm. And I think they say Moses instead of Jesus for like um, you know censorship reasons. Mm, sure. 
But so Wolfie finds the dead man's glove and uses this psychic power of psychometry to learn something. It all comes back to a mysterious uh, job posting at a, at a mansion out in the marshes that he saw an ad for last Prague. Wolfie investigates to see if someone's actually using ESP as a, as a murder weapon. He arrives at a spooky mansion, and as he walks up the path, an evil guy inside is making a Wolfie Smith clay sculpture. Spooky! <laughs> Alright, so next prog, the lettering robot for this one is listed as Aldrich Mark II, which is a reference to an upcoming Tharg story we're going to talk about later in the episode. Um... <laughs> Wolfie investigates the spooky mansion. He's greeted by a creepy dude who shows him around the house, ending in a basement full of dudes in suspended animation. <laughs> Before Wolfie can react, he gets hit over the head by a psychically controlled candlestick. Crack! Yeah, he comes to with a creepy guy, Mr. Hobb, astral projecting in front of him, explaining that he uses his psychic powers to force people, mostly drifters and tramps, and so forth, to steal for him and make him rich. Suddenly, this is an episode of Coast to Coast Radio. Exactly. <laughs> what? <laughs> That's ridiculous. <laughs> um, though, That's a projection, dog. That's true. I just didn't know about the uh, psychic controlling people to do petty crime. <laughs> anyway, the, I'm sure it's been on at least an episode. It seems fair. That's sort of a secondary goal of MK Ultra, maybe. Um, anyhow, the, the money is secondary just to him using his powers to boss people around. He challenges Wolfie to a mental duel, win, and Wolfie Smith goes free, lose, and he becomes Hobbs' slave. Wolfie accepts, psychically snagging a sword off a nearby suit of armor. It's mind fighting time! Bad guy 101, never challenge your, like, nearly equal hero to a duel. Yeah, you've already won. What are you doing, buddy? <laughs> so, Wolfie has a sword, but Hob has a battle axe. They fight briefly, but Wolfie manages to cut the cord of a chandelier that lands on Hobbs and sets him and the whole house on fire. Um... Hob, Hob gets up and transforms into his final form, a fiery demon guy. <laughs> but at that moment, terrified by the fire, the dozens of dudes in Hob's basement break free of his control and stampede out, trampling Hob seemingly to death. Um, this is why you don't keep dozens of dudes in your basement. Or you chain them up or something. Uh, <laughs> so Wolfie escapes as the manor burns. Um, he heads back out on his own, determined to learn more about his psychic powers. And starts doing the whole uh, the Hulk thing, Bruce yeah, Banner style. This is a super incredible Hulk or like fugitive or kung fu or whatever ending, you know. Just back yeah. on the road, thumb out, uh, sad music playing. <laughs> Time for me to get on this dude's crazy ass motorcycle. Yeah, we cut to Riley to Wolfie riding second seat on a motorcycle through the English countryside going almost 100 kilometers per hour. Oh, snap. Yeah, Wolfie once again saves a life using ESP, but does so in an unsmooth way that freaks people out. <laughs> Luckily, he manages to upgrade to getting a ride from a lady in a convertible after the cycle crashes safely. And she's she, got cool hair. Yeah, she's got like kind of a short, like curly hair kind of thing. She's on her way to her job as an extra at a film site. Wolfie tags along, but freaks out when it's seen being shot. At some Stonehenge-style standing stones. The name of the film is Night of the Carnivore, and Wolfie is freaking out about it. Oh, this ain't a good thing, but I guess I'll go here anyway. Yeah, he continues to freak out from the vibrate from the psychic vibrations coming from the site <laughs> of the filming, and he even sees an evil demon monster. Oh, jeez! Oh, it's real—it's actually a fairly detailed, creepy monster. Yeah, no, it's a good, good evil dude. But anyhow, you know, he and the lady Tara Lawson arrive on the set, and there's a bunch of drama around the set with dudes being really into Tara and jealous slash confused about Wolf and stuff like that um anyhow they start filming and this one uh stunt guy simon who was eyeing tara earlier climbs the face of one of the standing stones as he gets to the top he sees a crazy devil face in the rocks oh it's hissing oh. at him next episode rest in pieces <laughs> i before 
I even saw that. Like while he was climbing up the wall, I yelled at my computer, "Rest in pieces." Oh, <laughs> New audio. I yelled at the book, "Rest in pieces." Hey, why not? <laughs> it seems like a good joke, honestly, and it's very crypt keeper kind of setup we're having right now. I mean, why not, right? Honestly, this is full on like seven, like a seventies and eighties monster movie. You know, there's a there's a there's a uh, a film set, and it's all full of sort of nubile young people who have like relationship things, and then suddenly a monster shows up. You know, the only thing that we're missing now is you know actual TNA. I mean, yeah, there's some, but not not as much as you like. Honestly, they they they, they can only do so much in these comics. You know. I gotcha. It's more yeah. of just like, I like what they're going for. Yeah, no, it's not like a total disaster. But speaking of disasters, Fox. <laughs> Shut up. That's right. Shut up. <laughs> Thrill 5, Disaster 1990. God. I hate. God. So. Script robots Gary Finley Day, art robots Carlos Pino and Alan Willow, letting robots Jack Potter and Steve Potter. Um, oh, no, it's another man's gonna get lynched. Yeah. Oh no, it's not uh, Millie Vanilli winning a Grammy for best new artist. Instead, all of England has been flooded due to a nuclear disaster at the North Pole. Oh. <laughs> running out of running out of fun of fun disasters that happened in 1990, dude. <laughs> There's a bunch of sad ones that I really want to talk about. Oh my god! <laughs> I got like three more, three more queued up, which would take us through the rest of this thrill, honestly. Oh my god! But so uh, we join our guys so at <laughs> two of my best. So we join our guys as the townsfolk try to lynch Slick Sam, who is a, a, a disaster profiteer, as a whirlpool is forming in Wembley Stadium and threatens to destroy the structure and kill them all. Savage saves Slick Sam, and everyone piles into the duck to try to escape the whirlpool. In the end, they do so, but only because Slick Sam has sacrificed himself to lighten the load of the boat. Slick Sam dies as Wembley collapses. It's a heroic deed. My favorite part of this is that as they're trying to escape, Uh the, the scientist pulls out a calculator in order to figure out the weight and trajectory they need to launch to the other side. It's funny that they talk about, like, he has to go 60 miles an hour, but, like, surely just as fast as possible would be the answer, right? Like, <laughs> there's no reason to go to go to not go 70 miles an hour or whatever the hell. You know what I mean? <laughs> right? Like, I don't know. <laughs> Listen, you need to go as fast as possible. Like, really fucking punch it. And then yeah. jump over this thing. Science. Yeah, well, that makes... Mo- Honestly, that arg- that thing makes more sense to me than you need to go 60 miles an hour to jump this thing. That seems very specific. <laughs> like, you'll well, miss it if you go 80. You know? Yeah. Anyhow, um, Wembley collapses and stuff, but it will be rebuilt sometime in the next nine years so that Bill Savage can then save a bunch of political prisoners about to be executed on the pitch of the stadium during an early invasion story. Good times. (laughs) Oh my god. So, after this, we cut to uh, Savage and Bamber motoring along. They've entered more open country and come under like a hail of arrows from local jerks. Luckily, yeah. arrows are no match for a shotgun, and our guys move on. <laughs> they uh, they try to stop at a village on a hilltop that's still above water, but they get a pitchfork thrown at them for their troubles, which Savage fires back using a blank shell, which is my favorite use of shotguns in general. Um, it, but he fires the pitchfork. It's awesome. It's super awesome. They eventually take the off-ramp to Oxford, which has been their goal all along. But as they get closer, a mysterious fog blows up and they both pass out. Savage and Bamber wake up on cots inside Oxford? What's going on? So it turns out that f- it turns out that flooded Oxford is still up and running as a council of old guys in graduation camps in, in, in graduation caps are now the rulers of the campus. It's protected by knockout gas emplacements, and uh, Bamber, as an alumni, can stay as long as he wants, but Savage, being a rough, tough bloke, will have to leave, and leave his shotgun behind. What? 
Savage bristles at this, and it seems like there'll be a confrontation until Campus Radar picks something up. Tons of tiny contacts. Oh, jeez, the university is being attacked by a flock of murder geese! And suddenly Fox's favorite thing in the entire comic book happens. (laughs) How do we stop him? There's one answer. Bill Savage and his shotgun. (laughs) So... So the next proc... Just... Just so everyone realizes, they've just been attacked by a flock of crazy geese. Please continue, Conrad. In the next prog, Savage kills like 50 geese with both his shotgun and his bare hands. No, and then he takes his bandolier and starts whipping them out of the air for my second favorite picture in this entire thing. I was I was counting that as his bare hands, but yes, he definitely takes his, his shotgun shell bandolier and whips geese out of the sky with it. Uh, <laughs> the the professor tr- the professors track the birds back to an old bird sanctuary and set up in a swamp nearby. Savage leads a team of students to gas the birds' breeding bre- uh, breeding grounds, oh. but then goes after them when they don't come back after a long time and finds that they've been pecked to death by the birds. <laughs> on his on his way back, Savage runs into Professor Pike, who was the one who set up the sanctuary before the flood, and he's this guy. He's got a crazy beard he's got a white swan and a black swan on each shoulder he carries a bird call in his mouth at all times and kind of has these like pontoon water ski shoes that he (laughs) rides around in all the time the bird call allows him to control the murderous water the murderous waterfowl it's awesome it's he's also got crazy people's long fingernails yes he's this guy is super crazy in all the craziest ways um i love it Savage has to drop his shoddy, and then he and Bamber run for their lives from the murder geese. <laughs> they swim underwater. <laughs> yeah, they swim underwater, which allows them to escape from the birds for a while, coming up above water uh, one time to kill like four geese with their bare hands, and again <laughs> under some marsh grass. <laughs> Savage uses the gunpowder from some spare shells he's had to make a flashbang, which knocks Professor Pike off of his sweet water cross-country skis and makes him drop his bird call. Without his bird call, he can't control the birds and he gets eaten alive by geese. Oh, no! <laughs> and then bellies full, they just fly away. Luckily, yeah, with their, with their lust for human flesh sated, the birds then fly off and our guys are safe. Uh, they get back on the duck and return to Oxford, and Savage has a feeling it's time to move on. Next episode, Traveling Man. So, I I want I noticed something in this uh-huh. um, series of progs that I I hadn't noticed before. He hasn't killed any English people. No, there's a real real lack of actual killing people in pretty much all of Invasion well, ninety nine. Well, so like. Invasion itself, those are or, balls. Or, and he's, di- yeah, Disaster 99, I should say. He doesn't like to kill exactly. his countrymen. Yeah. And that's, I got mad respect for Bill Savage. He will, he will thundercat them into situations, you know? Yeah. But he will not um, directly murder them. Ever. Definitely. Yeah, I think, we're, you know, we'll see, we'll see that really come into play actually next week. Or, or next episode, I should say. Um, but I should also mention that, uh, Murder geese, <laughs> dude. I the thing is, so is much. that I'm... is that like as opposed to like crows or sparrows, like in um in Alfred Hitchcock or whatever. These geese are really freaking big, dude. Like, <laughs> like if a if a if a goose comes at you in real life, you're gonna freak out. Or like if a swan does, dude. Have you seen like a swan you're... like in real life? They're huge. Yeah, it's bad. <laughs> and I mean, I I guess if there's enough of them, maybe they'll like bruise you or tear some skin or something. But I mean, if it's kind of like a spoon, if it tries hard enough, it could probably kill you. Dude, I don't want to go, but like, <laughs> okay, listen. In the classic choice, I always take the uh, horse-sized duck instead of the hundred uh, duck-sized horses. But still, like. Fighting a bunch of like birds that are pecking at me, even if there aren't like birds of prey or anything like that, is still like a nightmare. Oh my god, I'm such a I'm such a duck-sized horseman because they they'd be adorable. They'd be so tiny. 
Yeah, that's a terrible. I don't want to. We can't get into it. We've gone too long. But that's a terror. That's a terrible choice, Fox. Okay. Let's finish up with two one-time thrills here. All right, starting with Thrill Six, Captain Clep. Yeah. So, uh, just one Captain Clep, and just so it's just a one one-page com- uh, story. Uh, there's no credits that I've been able to find for this one. While protesting at an army range. Um, as his alter ego, Clark Klepp, which is with C's, uh, Captain Klepp, which was Klepp with a K, saves a dog from getting hit by a shell, but then accidentally drops that shell on some army officers, and now he's on the run. Wacky! Yeah, I guess, like, whatever. Yeah, which takes, (laughs) exactly, which takes us to Thrill 7, a day in the life of Tharg the Mighty. I've always asked myself, what is being Tharg-like? Totally. now, I've got the answer. Yeah. So, uh, the script robot for this one is The Mighty One. So, I guess um, I guess Steve McMahon is... And then, art by uh, Carlos Escara and no listed re- a, a lettering robot. So, <laughs> after teleporting to work, we follow Tharg around the 2080 offices with uh, AALN1, the Alan Grant robot in tow... Um, he Tharg feeds lettering robot John Aldrich to Mechquake for messing up some Johnny Alpha word bubbles. <laughs> he's got he's got uh, Johnny Alpha saying Gronk lines and Gronk saying Wolf lines, which is kind of funny. Uh, yeah. Mechquake does big jobs. So. Yes, and then blasts an arm off another robot because he's trying to use a matter transporter to deliver progs. While yeah, investigating, no, you got to use. The, um, human supply chain. Mm-hmm. While investigating some 2080 supply chain stuff, Tharg is accosted by a police officer. He gets angry, growing to massive size. Only <laughs> the people of Earth singing for he's a jolly good alien can placate him. Um, <laughs> Tharg ends the day being stoked because he's once again saved the Earth. Although, in this case, he's basically <laughs> saved it from destruction by his own hands. Um, and rewards the bots by letting them work until midnight. Hooray! Yay, we all get to do job. Yeah. Tharg reads some fan letters and then head home heads home for the night. As he goes to sleep, he wishes the galaxy good night and the galaxy responds, sleep tight, mighty one. Aww. Yeah, it's just a I, nice... I love all of like... Oh, please. No, no, please. You go. So I, I love all of the, the little... Like, so whenever he's talking to people or people are around, they're just mentioning things about the progs that they really like. Even the cop is just like, you know, I'm I'm a huge Judge Dredd fan, but you ain't no Tharg. He's not real. Gonna rip off your face, you know? Yeah. It's just, like, cute. There's just, like, little nods to stuff, and, and this is a ridiculous comic. Yeah, it's fun. I don't know. But, hey, that's the end of uh, Thrills for this month, Fox. All right. Good lord. What were your top and bottom thrills for uh, September 1979? All right. So um, really the the top is kind of like a toss-up between the ABC Warriors, which is like really fucking cool, but halfway through Disaster 1990, there were murderous super geese. That's true. It's like Bill Savage is still just as ridiculous. He put a pitchfork into a shotgun and shot it at a man. Mm-hmm. Like, nothing is bad about Disaster 1990. That said, I mean, ABC Warriors is fucking ridiculous. Of course it's ABC Warriors. Uh, okay, awesome. And what's your, what's your bottom thrill for 79? I mean, to be perfectly honest, it's the mind of Wolfie Smith. And I, I really want to like it. Like, that's the problem, is that it... It has, like, this different angle that they're going for, which I really appreciate. Like, I actually really like the, the whole psychic stuff. It feels fairly different than everything else. It's mm-hmm. kind of got that creepy vibe to it. Um, but instead, it's just kind of like, eh. Like, all of the stories just kind of are like, all right, uh, that happened. Yeah, I hear you. Yeah, yeah um... You kind of radical. Oof. Um... For me, ABC Warriors is real good. Um, I liked a lot of the Dread stuff this time, too, with uh, the Black Atlantic and Auto Sump and stuff like that. But, man, just um, 
just that pic- that opening picture of Mars with the cyber whale and stuff was just so good. And then all this Mars stuff is great. ABC Warriors is so awesome. Um, my bottom thrills Mind of Wolfie Smith also. Um, it feels really incongruous with the rest of this stuff just because it sort of seems like mm. a contemporary teenager story, I guess, as opposed to um, something more elaborate or cool, I guess. Yeah. Um, and, you know... Oh, yeah, and that's basically, yeah, it just sort of is, this is a pretty good month, I just feel like Wolfie Smith is sort of underperforming, and like, mm-hmm. I don't know, um, I feel like maybe it's just sort of how Tom Tully writes is sort of, it makes, the way things sort of develop goes really slow with a lot of the, the, the stuff that he puts out, you know? Yeah, but even then, you're contending with the rest of the fucking comic book here, like, these pages are, they matter. Yeah, so it definitely makes it. Canceled. Yeah, it definitely makes it like stand out from ABC Warriors going crazy or Murder Geese or um, Otto <laughs> Sump being ugly and you know intrigue and yeah. things like that. Yeah. All right, cool. Yeah. I hope everybody enjoyed the show. You can find Space Spinner 2000 on iTunes, Stitcher, the Google Play Store, or our podcast site at Cradoline.com. Feel free to contact us at spacespinner2000 at gmail.com or on our fancy new Facebook or on our Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter pages. On Twitter, we're spacespinner2k. For everything else, look up spacespinner2000, and we should be there. Come back next time as we finish our non-prog content for 1979 with the 2080 annual 1980. Uh. Uh, this this actually seems like a decent annual to me with some cool Dread and Robusters stories as well as some Invasion and Dan Dare stuff that seems like non-horrible, basically. <laughs> Ooh, Robusters. Yeah. Also from the vault, we get a couple guinea pig stories which feature both a deadly gorilla and a murderous octopus. Um, also, fan- that. yeah. Also, Phantom Patrol returns, which is mixed blessing. Uh, and there's a 2000 AD quiz that I'm going to have Fox answer the questions for after we finish recording this episode, and we'll grade him mercilessly for next episode. Oh <laughs> no! Until next time, I'm Conrad. He's Fox, and we are Space Spinner 2000. Sprint up, Rick.